So, this is uh, a long time coming. Long time coming. Yeah. So I got Sarah Magner. Yeah. I always want to say Magner. I don't know why. Or manager. That's manger. Yeah. There's a lot of different ones you can yeah. say. <laughs> um, super special guest. So uh, I met Sarah back when I was living in Missoula at a behavioral youth treatment center. And she is just a wonderful woman and has a message for you guys. So Sarah, who are you and what do you do? Yeah. So like you said, my name is Sarah Magner. I am currently living in Canada, originally from Miami, Florida, and I'm a therapist. I work with children, families, trauma. I do EMDR, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and I work in my private practice up here uh, in Canada right now. Nice. nice. Yeah. So like why, okay. So for me, like why I got into like the self-help podcast and like entrepreneurship is because I have gone through trauma. Right. Yeah. And I want to like help people. So I don't know a therapist that like doesn't have a therapist and we don't need to talk about why you go to therapy if you go to therapy, <laughs> but like, what was like, what drew you to becoming a therapist? Yeah. So I just want to start off by saying that I think um, every therapist should have their own therapist. I think if you're preaching that this stuff really helps and you say, oh, but but not for me, um, it almost kind of puts that in a light of questionability. Like what, why would you not want that for yourself if you're claiming of how much it helps? But not only that, but I think that in the field, it is pretty hard on you. It can lead to a lot of burnout. And if you have someone to help you through that, that's pretty important. Even the best doctor can't perform um, on themselves or the best surgeon can perform surgery on themselves. So it is pretty important. Um, So the reason why, yeah. So the reason why I became a therapist, um, I, I have a passion for helping people. I didn't, I didn't know as a child that I wanted to be a therapist and help people. I actually wanted to go in the field of helping animals. Um, and I told my mom, even at one point, I wanted to be an animal psychologist, <laughs> like be like Caesar and uh, help animals with their anxiety. And I, I still, I still really love animals and my dog has anxiety, <laughs> but um, no, I just, I, I started to find the path of psychology in high school. I still remember my uh, AP psychology teacher. She, it was her passion, the way she taught um, psychology, the way she taught neurology that just really drew me to it. And just the, it just came to me so naturally. And it was something I was very excited and passionate about. But even then I still kind of put it on the side, went to college and uh, studied biology, studied animal science, did um, internships at Miami Aquarium, um, Tallahassee Museum. So I worked with dolphins, sea lions, seals, um, wildlife, um, 
birds, panthers, wolves. And I really love doing that. I really love providing that animal care. But then I went to the academic side and then I took my big bio class and then it like none of it stuck. Like I'm, I would say like, I'm, I'm pretty good at uh, academia. Like I'll get A's, I'll get B's and it comes to me pretty naturally. But in that course, and it just went into one ear and out the other. I was like, okay, this, this is not for me. This is not my path. And this was just the start of biology. This wasn't even getting into <clears throat> organic chemistry and getting into the bigger calculus classes. So at that point, I'm like, okay, like what, what do I remember really loving? And so then I was like, let me take some psychology courses. Like I remember really loving that. And I did. And then, and then it just clicked. I was like, this is definitely what I need to be doing. This is my path. And even the the highest level of neurology classes, I was acing no problem and um, did my dissertation or the bio lab um, in the neurology course in uh, zebra finch lab and they did open brain surgery on these zebra finches and they were injecting the brain with um, a chemical dye so then they can take a picture of the brain and see where the pathways were lighting up when the zebra finch would sing and so they were studying the zebra finch song in relation to their language to see which part of the brain um, if it was interfered with would interfere with their song to try to see where the language pathways were to kind of see how that would change their development of their song over time um, compared to the adolescent zebra finches and the adult zebra. Anyways, before I get too deep into that hole, um, it's just the neurology was really exciting. I was like, okay, I want to be a clinical neuropsychologist. Like for sure, that's one day what I'm going to be. Um, but I started at just, that's how I really dove into psychology. And then um, I ended up having, um, end up graduating. My first job out of college was behavior analysis. So I worked with children with autism and behavior therapy was pretty interesting. It was a great experience. Um, I loved helping children, uh, in particular, and I liked the working with autism spectrum. Um, but it was only restricted to that population of just autism. And when uh, I had my little girl, we decided to move out to West Texas. So I moved out into the middle of nowhere. The population in Marfa, Texas was five to 5,000 people. Damn. Uh, and not, not even. Um, from Miami, Florida? <laughs> from Miami, Florida um, to Marfa, Texas, middle of nowhere. Not even, I think it was like more like 2000. The population was, there was like one gas station. There's like $1 general. There was like one, <laughs> one grocery store. Everybody knew everybody. And it was a really cowboy, really cowboy town. If you ever uh, see the TV series called I love Dick, it's, it has, um, Kevin Bacon in it and it's okay. filmed in Marfa, Texas. And then you'll get a sense of what Marfa, Texas is like. <laughs> and, okay. Um, so anyway, so then I moved out there. The only university was the nearest town over in Alpine, Texas. And I went to that university for my master's program and the, they didn't have a doctorate program. The only master's program they had was a master's of education and counseling. So I decided to pursue that. Um, while I had, um, my little girl and while I was working, um, all through college, I worked through college and then I got my, uh, master's degree and started working at the facility, working with adolescents, troubled adolescents, and then moved up to Montana, continued with the agency. And, um, that's just how it kind of played out. I really think the passion for psychology came at a very young age. My, um, my grandmother, and my sister were both diagnosed with schizophrenia 
Um, and then my younger niece uh, got diagnosed with schizophrenia at a pretty young age. Um, my mom suffered with some depression over the years. And so I was this little girl surrounded by uh, mental health issues. And I was in a position to care for my mom. My mom didn't have a partner um, growing up. So it was a lot of the responsibility to help my family uh, fell on me. And when things were going well, it was, that was the validation I got. Like, you helped me so much. Like, thank you so much. Like, you're such a good girl. I never have to worry about this. And I never have to worry about that. And so I'm like, okay, so my worth is driven by helping people. Like when I, when I help those people around me, I, I get, I get a, a praise and I get acknowledgement. So I say, yeah, I learned at a very young age, okay, I'm responsible for helping others feel better. Actually looking back at it now, I actually see, wow, that was quite codependent and probably yeah. not very healthy. And yeah. you, I think everybody can look at their childhood at some point and say, uh, I don't know if that was the best situation um, with my parents because no parent is going to be perfect. Um, and I work with a lot of parents uh, now that are struggling with their children. And, and I tell them the same thing. There's no handbook that gives you an exact roadmap for how to parent perfectly. Every parent is going to have a child and they're going to mess up that child in some kind of way. They're just not going to know it until way later. And it's not going to be something that they're doing intentionally. Actually, a lot of parents give and give and give to their children to try to give them everything and hoping that they are filling all their needs. And then they find out, oh, actually, that's overindulgence. And now I have a child that's entitled and not yeah. grateful. Uh, and then and then they find out all that wasn't very helpful. So even the things that you that you do that you think are helping your kids actually aren't. So there is really no like one way to do parenting the exact right way. And, and there are going to be some things that are going to happen over the years. So I, I kind of was able to look back at my childhood and see like, okay, I was introduced to um, the mental health in my family. Um, I had that dynamic where I was the, the helper, the rescuer. Um, and I was, I was applauded for that and validated for that. So I learned at a very young age, okay, helping people is a good thing. Also, my mom is just a sweetheart. Like I can't take that away. My mom is the hugest heart in the world. Sometimes too, too sweet. She gets taken advantage of, but, um, that I think seeing her, um, she was a big role model for me growing up and seeing her help people and, even though I can see it now and see the people pleasing tendencies, she, she says yes and yes and yes, but it was seeing how, how much she was there for other people. And I think learning that through her um, helped teach me the value and being there for others and how that's, how that's a good thing in life. Um, and so there was this desensitization already to mental health issues. So seeing someone that's schizophrenic, seeing them have a schizophrenic uh, episode, um, and, and that's in your family, that's related to you, um, and, and living with that. Um, I remember a memory, I was pretty young, and I, I was in middle school, uh, and I came home, and there was stuff broken everywhere. And mm -hmm. like, not even uh, an hour before I got, I walked in, there was my sister was screaming that there was ghosts in the house and ghosts were talking to her. And she, so she threw dishes all over and she was just screaming and yelling and rampaging um, at nothing. And it was, it was a psychotic episode. And this was just one of many. Um, and also the substance abuse um, that she was experiencing, that she was 
um, struggling with her own addiction. Uh, so there was a lot that I was exposed to at a very young age that helped me grow up at a very young age. And I think be decent desensitized to some of those larger issues where someone else might be around a schizophrenic person and kind of freak out. Um, I see it and I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, that's just normal. Like that happened. And there was her and then my, my grandmother and I've seen like some psychotic episodes with her. And so it was, I think being surrounded, but it taught me how to have compassion for people with mental illness that like, I got to see the struggle from a different angle and Um, I think being related to someone that does struggle helps you bring even more compassion into it where it's like a level of understanding. Like that's not really how they are all the time. That's not who they are as a person. There's something going on neurologically that affects how they treat people, affects how they interact and behave. And I, I saw, I saw that I would see the switch quite often, like going from a psychotic episode to then medication management and yeah. then the person is almost a different person. Like it could be two different people um, with schizophrenia, even with addiction. Like when someone's really heavily in their addiction and when they're not, like they're completely two different people. You can probably understand that. Yeah. And like, and when you see that shift, you're like, okay, like I know that person's heart. Like I know where, where their intentions are and this isn't really the type of person that they want to be. Um, so I think that really guided me into the field as well um, of helping people. And a lot of it too, actually, I thought as I was going through schooling um, and I would gain more tools, I would actually be able to help my family more. I could help my mom more. She's depressed. I can help my nieces and my nephews, um, my niece with schizophrenia. Um, and so I finished my schooling and I would try to help. Um, if you're a counselor, you know, it's unethical to provide counseling and therapy to your own family. So I'm not their therapist, but yeah. I have this level of insight and help and tools that I would try to give. And then I learned actually like these tools were actually meant to help myself through some of the trauma that I've been through and also help other people around me. But it was really healing in my own journey um, as I learned all the skills I did going through schooling and working with other clients. It's actually helped me through my own healing journey of processing a lot of trauma that I've experienced in my past. Uh, so well, I want to go back on a few things. One, for like, I think that's amazing that you can take the disease out of this somebody's like personality, mm-hmm. like that there's something wrong with them. That's not who they are to their core. Yeah. I have trouble doing that and even though i'm a recovering addict and alcoholic like i i can't do that and then how you like talked about it with schizophrenia i was like holy shit like i it just like opened up my mind to look at it from a different perspective yeah yeah uh and i think that's really cool and then another thing um growing up like you know i had to sell drugs to pay for my parents bills my mom has ms my dad's an alcoholic like I, when I like, and my grandma is super codependent. So like doing things for my family, uh, I had similar comments like, oh, you're such a good boy. Like we never have to worry about you. Like feeling this validation feeling this validation, yeah. but really it's super unhealthy behavior. Yeah. And, like my friends growing up would tell me to have a backbone and like that never like clicked. Cause I'm like, let me save you. And even like into my dating life now, it's like, let me be Captain Save-A-Ho mm-hmm. and let me fix you. And it yeah. like, it doesn't do that. But like, 
um now that like i'm in recovery and like learning about the human brain and like emotions and behaviors and stuff i uh, i took a psychology course last semester and like i absolutely loved it mm-hmm. it was like general psychology like basic but like yeah. i loved it um anyway my point is like i could really really relate to where you're coming from and like those behaviors mm-hmm. and stuff um yeah so with uh okay so like if somebody has a family member or significant other that is schizophrenia like Mm -hmm. and they are not treated or diagnosed yet like what are some tools or tips that somebody could like use to help that person yeah so like the first thing is identifying it identifying it as schizophrenia um is the person hallucinating are they hearing things audibly are they are they seeing things that aren't really there um are do they have a sense of paranoia there's different types of schizophrenia there's catatonic schizophrenia paranoid schizophrenia so are they doing um body movements that don't make sense are they talking with distorted cognition so are they that's called word salads are they saying things that don't really make sense like the table flipped over on the door and why are you coming in it's like that didn't make any sense but somehow there's words that got jumbled um and a lot of times it doesn't make sense is the person um saying anything that is like a ritual for them. Like, oh, I don't, I don't shake hands with anybody because my hands can get sweaty. So they have like this rule that they just don't shake hands with anybody, but the, the nest, the, the rule doesn't really have a lot of logical sense to it. Um, they, do they have um, any odd behaviors and how they socialize or how they interact with other people? Is there any lack of empathy? Um, so like looking at the different signs of schizophrenia, um, it's, it's scary when you go onto Google and you type in all these different behaviors, it'll say like a million different things. And to go on Google and diagnose yourself, you can say like, I have a hurt arm and they'll say, oh, you have cancer. And so it's, so, to, so I recommend like, if, if you're actually concerned about that, going to someone who is a professional or does know what it looks like. Um, in terms of the family member, it's, it's, it depends on the age of the person that's showing schizophrenic symptoms in terms of their response to treatment. One of the things that makes schizophrenia so dangerous and so hard to treat is that the person does usually have some beliefs around the medication use itself. So they may feel like, especially if they have paranoid schizophrenia, they may feel like the medication is poison, that the medication makes them look different, the medication doesn't really help them, or they have this fear behind the medication itself, you just all are trying to poison me. Um, and this, this paranoid belief, um, you guys are using it to watch me. Like there's cameras inside the medication that are going in my body. You guys are going to record me a lot, a lot of kind of out there beliefs. And so the medication management is one of the hardest things about schizophrenia because usually, or maybe it's like, I feel better. I don't need this. So you stop taking it. So knowing that it is a long-term thing, schizophrenia is uh, one that is very, very hard to treat for that reason. I think the earlier you, you identify it, the better. So when my niece was, was diagnosed, she was really young. She was at five or six. She was, um, showing signs of pulling her hair out, showing signs of, um, the hallucinations. And she got a medication very, very young. And it's very rare to get diagnosed as a schizophrenia early onset. 
Um, but because of the family history, um, the doctor did kind of suggest signs of that. So she got a medication young and a lot of those signs kind of ended up um, growing. She ended up growing out of a lot of them with medication. And now it's, there's, there's other things there. Of course, it's not completely better, but it's not at the degree that it was. And I think because it was identified so early and because that medication started so early, that became part of her routine. That's really why she's ended up in a place that's much better than she would have been otherwise. So definitely seeking help, um, seeking help from a therapist, seeking help from a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Sometimes people don't know the difference. So as a psychiatrist, is going to be one that diagnoses and that um, does medication management. So they'll be able to uh, prescribe the medication for the, the symptoms. Psychologists would be able to provide a diagnosis, assessments, um, and possibly some ongoing treatment, so ongoing therapy sessions. The therapist itself, depending on their level, um, usually master's level is a level of a therapist, would be able to provide the ongoing treatment for um, some of the presenting symptoms using cognitive behavior therapy or dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, um, or other methods that are, are, would be useful for the client, um, but not necessarily be able to provide that medication. Um, so seeking a professional, identifying it, um, definitely seeking support for the family members that are dealing with it. Like the most of the time, the, the person with the diagnosis is considered the patient and they're being treated for their symptoms. But the people around them, just as you know, if someone with addiction is in the household, it's not just the one that's addicted, that's struggling. It's everyone yeah, around them that's struggling, which is why there's Al-Anon. Um, there's NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, that provides a lot of support for families that are struggling with someone with mental illness in their home, even if it's not schizophrenia, even if it's just depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder. Um, the If you're able to get help for yourself and support for yourself, you're going to better be able to support the person that's struggling in your house. Um, You're going to be able to manage your emotions better when you're handling the symptoms and you're going to be able to be more present um, when some of the uh, episodes arise or some of the symptoms get the worst. So that's what I would recommend is definitely seeking help for the family members, seeking help for the individual. What was that group called? Uh, NAMI. So the National, National Alliance on Mental Illness, huh. yeah, NAMI, um, they, it's a resource on, on just mental illness as a whole. And so they provide, okay. so if you go to their website, even, I think it's NAMI.org, um, they'll be able to provide information on the different diagnoses. And that's a credible source. That's not Googling. That's going right to a source of someone who's experienced with mental illness. Um, and they have a number there. Um, there's also 211, um, which is a hotline for, they have a suicide prevention hotline, and they also have a hotline for resources. So if you don't have enough money to pay for a therapist out of pocket, they may be able to direct you to some organizations that cover that service or provide some crisis intervention in the moment you're dealing with an episode and you have no idea what's happening. You can just dial 211 on your phone and say, I don't know what to do. And they'll be able to provide you resources even there. And I think they're 24 seven. And that would have been, so I used to date, uh, I was engaged to somebody with borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. and like, I didn't know what, like what to do. Yeah. I, like it, it was either I'm the best guy ever, or I'm the devil. And I just, it was black and white. And yeah. I, uh, I didn't, I, when she told me that she was BPD, 
I thought she was just like, yeah, I'm borderline personality disorder. Like, yeah, okay. Like, who isn't a little bit crazy? Like, I didn't think that was like a real thing. Mm-hmm. I thought she was being like joking, like, yeah, I'm a little crazy. Like, okay, like, yeah, I am too. Yeah. And then, like, tears down the line, she's like, I need to do something about my mental health. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, I'm borderline. I'm like, so then I started doing research on it and, like, turns yeah. out it's a real thing. And my codependent uh, self was like, oh my gosh, I found this cure that's gonna make this relationship work and yeah. like would granted i was hot in meth and probably somebody with bpd and meth doesn't work as well but um yeah. uh, i just like thought like this is gonna be it but it didn't yeah. work out and i'm glad that it didn't work out i hope she's doing well but yeah if i knew like that there was like a helpline for somebody like mm-hmm. or if, a family member with BPD like that would have helped so much because like I didn't know what the yeah. what to do. Um yeah, but anyway, so now okay. So Sarah, let's uh change the script a little. Yeah, yeah. So now how long you've been living in Canada now? Uh since May of last year, so almost a year. Almost a year. Almost oh. a year. It's pretty interesting to practice therapy in Canada. <laughs> I haven't had too many people give me any looks for being an American. Everyone's pretty nice here. Like the rumors that they say are true, but not like as true as people portray it to be. Like people portray that like everybody in Canada is nice. There's actually a lot of rude people in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and drivers aren't the best in the town that I'm in. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people are nice. There are a lot of people that say A, and then there's some people that don't say it. There's some people that say it excessively. Like, I'm going to go to the store, A, eh? and then there, I'm going to go pick up some juice, A, eh? and then I'm going to be home, A, eh? and then I'm going to go to make some dinner, A, eh? and this is A, A, A. But it's really cool to be like around a different culture. Um, it's not, I think it's very similar to the States. So it's not like the same as if you were going from America to France, but yeah, it's pretty cool to be in a different country for sure. That would be, yeah. I, uh, I've always wanted to live in a different country. Yeah. Um, yeah. If yeah. you could live in a different country, where would you live or work? Well, either, or I don't know me. Like, I don't know, South Africa, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I almost, I almost studied, um, studied abroad in South America, um, or South Africa way Uh, back when I was going to do stuff with the cheetahs and the monkeys, but it didn't pan out, (laughs) but yeah, I've always wanted to study in a, and work in a different country. And so Canada's close, but it still counts. So, right. Like I say South Africa, but like any like weird insects, I'll like freak out. Like I want to go to like New Zealand, but I don't want, or like Australia, but like I don't want. You've seen those spiders? Exactly. Like I freak out out if it's like this little, like let alone if it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. So, uh, yeah i don't know i like i want to live in another country but maybe canada is gonna be the only one that i live in <laughs> so. yeah yeah just travel on over the british columbia is really pretty in the, the summer the okanagan is really gorgeous and 
the lakes are nice and the weather's beautiful when there's not fires um, and when there's not a heat wave. This last year, it was it was very very different than what it usually is. It, we had a heat wave and it was it got up to like over 110, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow, um, pretty hot and 115 degrees Fahrenheit. It was really hot. There was a heat wave here and then there was a lot of fires. There was one point we were on a um, evacuation alert. Like we didn't have to actually evacuate, but we were, the fire was so close that we were on alert to evacuate. But then there were other houses on the outskirts of town that needed to evacuate. And even a small town, um, on the other side of the lake that got burnt down. And that was pretty sad. Like the fires, like just all of British Columbia was on fire this year. It was, it was pretty intense, but I know there's up and down years and Montana was pretty bad too. Yeah. It like everything that you just said describes how Helena is like yeah. every year so <laughs> do we need to evacuate no okay. yeah that's how it is in florida too with hurricanes it's like everyone just throws a party like we'll have a hurricane party, <laughs> hurricane party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <coughs> that's funny um okay Whew. so like when you know your mom what like if you had like a day to like do whatever you wanted, wake up wherever you wanted, be with whoever you wanted, and well, you're in a different country, but maybe in another country. <laughs> if it's so the perfect day, what would your perfect day look like? Oh my gosh, a perfect day. Um, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if my perfect day would be here on earth, actually. I think my perfect day would be sitting with Jesus in heaven. Like, I think that would be my perfect day. Um, okay. Uh, I think if, if, it's, if it's on earth and it's my perfect day, um, I think just being in a room surrounded by everyone I really love or actually being in a, in a paradise place with everybody I really love. <laughs> so everyone can enjoy the paradise with me. Um, I don't know where that would be. I've always wanted to go to um, Fiji or New Zealand or um, I don't know. I've been to Hawaii. That was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, it's somewhere where like the huts are on the water, like on the ocean that you have to go on those docks and, yeah. and you get the, um, Bora Bora, I guess, is where it is. And so, yeah, somewhere like uh, paradise with everyone that I love, everyone happy and everyone healthy. Um, it wouldn't be a perfect day without without people that I care about, I think. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's a valid point. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Are you reading any books right now? Um, I've got a couple. I wish, I think I have my other one out there, but this one's really good. This one's the Atlas of the Heart. Ah, I've wanted. Amazing by Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. She is so, so good. Um, the other one I have is, um, let me grab it real quick. All right. Okay, 
So if you're on TikTok, you're on social media, um, and you watch any self-help videos or you um, follow any therapist, most likely her videos have come up on your page at some point. And her name is Julie Smith, Dr. Julie Smith. And she was one of the first um, psychologists to um, post videos on TikTok, really, and put like free therapy out there for people to watch. Um, this is what she looks like. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, um, yeah, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Julie Smith, she's a clinical psychologist, um, has a lovely accent, and her videos are just so creative. And her book is called um, Why Has Someone No Why Has Nobody Told Me This Before? Um, and it's amazing. I don't know if you've seen, I mean, it's on the top sellers list for sure. So you probably have already seen it. But the content itself, I mean, it's it's like free therapy in a book. It has contents of being in dark places and low moods, um, on motivation, on emotional pain, um, on grief, on self-doubt, on fear, on stress, on the meaning of life, relationships, attachment styles. I mean, it's kind of like a summary of everything you would learn over a year or more in therapy all in one book. And it's a really easy read. And she provides neat tools in here, neat skills. Um, so that one has been pretty amazing to dive into. I strongly recommend it for anybody that's looking for a self-help book. Uh, another one that's really good for a self-help book is The Body Keeps the Score. Um, I don't have a copy with me, but it talks about trauma and how our body holds on and stores trauma um, and how that builds up over time and affects ourself psychologically, but also somatically. Um, so yeah, those are the two reads. And the book on Brene Brown talks a lot about um, becoming more emotionally connected, talks about being vulnerable, talks about shame. Um, that one is my absolute favorite for sure. I love Brene Brown stuff like watching yeah. her TED talk that came out whatever how many years ago yeah um, like opened up my mind using vulnerability as a superpower yeah um instead of hiding that guilt and shame and having different masks on like I can just be my authentic self I don't have to be afraid of xyz um and my experience might be able to help somebody else yeah yeah so absolutely absolutely I, uh, yeah, I love Brittany Brown stuff. And I'm going to have to check out that Dr. Julie Smith book. That looks really yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, that, one's, that one's really good. Why has nobody told me this before? Um, it's, it's really good. Um, and, and her videos are just really creative, um, really to the point. So you can follow her on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, so, yeah, she's one that I follow quite frequently. Awesome. Yeah. So if people wanted to follow you on the Internet... Mm -hmm. where, where can they find you? Yeah. So I started posting some videos on TikTok. Actually, um, I posted one on there about the five stages of grief and loss. Um, so I'm starting to put some therapeutic stuff out there um, in that realm. I'm still working to build my like uh, therapy Instagram. So I have my personal Instagram, but I haven't quite started a business therapy side of Instagram yet. Um, but just searching up Sarah Magner, um, on TikTok, you know, I don't have it exactly on me. Um, my username, but Sarah something, um, <laughs> here, I'll wait, find it, guys, and I'll be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me tell you what it is. And, um, so yeah, I'm still trying to, uh, 
put more videos out there. I've just started that. I also do um, acting on the side. So I have an acting, <laughs> an acting Instagram. You have an acting Instagram? Yeah. Why am I just now <laughs> learning about this? Yeah, that's that was my little side hobby as I was going through school and um, is was acting and modeling on the side. So I've been in um, I've as an extra in Yellowstone, actually, when they filmed out in Montana. Um, I was a lead speaking role in a theater playwright that was um, produced. It was written by Michael Sarah, the guy from Superbad and uh, Juno. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And the woman uh, that um, directed it, it was out in Marfa, Texas, was Alia Shawkat. So she's on Parks and Recreation and, oh, and some cool. other shows. Um, so I got to meet her, work on side by side with her and do that, that play. That was pretty fun. Um, so I was and then I've done a couple commercials. Um, so I did a commercial for uh, TFCU Credit Union in El Paso uh, and also did a commercial for um, it was like an electronic skateboard that was out and they were featuring it in, in El Paso, Texas. That one really? was pretty interesting because I have no idea how to skateboard and I was terrified. <laughs> I did not, I did not, but, and, and you watch the commercial and you can't even tell I'm scared, but, um, that one was pretty, pretty fun and interesting. So I've always found that quite, um, that's just my little side passion. So I do that on the side. After yeah i knew that you like uh just from uh acquaintances i know that you did like modeling and stuff in like college or something yeah. but and no like to that extent yeah yeah so, so i yeah. think that that instagram is is acting as sarah magner um so yeah like i'll send you i'll send you some of those links yeah and i'll put on the show notes guys all right Sarah, so what is the last question for you? Okay. What is your message to the world? The mess, my message to the world. Um, my message to the world would probably be to uh, live in the moment uh, because there's anxiety, which focuses, like pulls you into the future, pulls you into your fears, pulls you into your darkest place, your darkest thoughts. Depression pulls you into your past, your deepest regrets, the biggest shame. And when you're in the present, that's all you have is the right now. That's the only thing that's ever promised to you is right now. And when you focus on the present, you don't look back later and think, oh, I wish I was more present in that moment, or I wish I would have taken more advantage in that moment. Um, you, you, if you already are, there's nothing to regret. Um, there's when you have that moment of realization, like when you lose someone, when you experience that loss and that person's not there anymore, you have that feeling of, oh, I wish I took advantage or I wish I would have, I would have like loved them the way that I wanted to love them when they were there. Like you would, if you knew that they were passing away tomorrow, that day would be full with love and full of taking uh, taking advantage of every single moment. And so it, in other words, it doesn't need you to lose someone for you to take full advantage of that moment and for you to just love them as, as if it was their last day, because it technically could be that last day with anybody. And so like really taking advantage of that moment when you have it. And if you're in the present, there's no room for you to be 
dissociated, lost in your thoughts, dazed out, missing out on time, not paying attention. Um, you're just you're just in the moment. And I think also when you're just living in the moment, there's a lot less judgment of how you should be. There's just this appreciation of it is what it is. Um, and there's no expectation that it should be any different. So that, that would be my little piece. And that's probably one of the hardest things for, for anybody to do is to be in the moment, um, focus on their choices that they're making every day and taking advantage of life and being grateful um, for every moment that they have. And especially when some have it very um, unfortunate. So, I like that, be in the moment. Yeah. Especially right now. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Especially right now. Yeah, it kind of feels, can we skip to the good part? Like, can we just go to past (laughs) all all of this that we're dealing with right now in the world? Yeah, collect $200. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Sarah. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, me too. Thank you.